Hello, and welcome back to Getting 5G Right, the network now, the network next. I'm Kelly Hill, Executive Editor of RCR Wireless News, getting insights from Jim Newins, who is VP and GM of Wireless Field Instruments at Biavi Solutions. Welcome back, Jim. Hey, thank you. Good to be back. Great, good to have you here. So this is the second of a two-part series. So uh, to our listeners, if you missed our first episode, I hope you'll go back and give it a listen. We talked about a whole lot of things from the overall state of 5G deployment and the ecosystem to trends like Open RAN and a lot of the complexity that 5G systems present. So in today's installment, we're gonna pick Jim's brain about some real world insights and technical challenges that Biavi's customers are seeing in the field. For those of you who don't know, Viavi works with major tier one operators around the world, as well as smaller operators. So we're getting perspective on actual deployment issues and testing, right, Jim? That's correct, Kelly. Viavi sells test and optimization equipment, as well as equipment for mobile labs, network equipment manufacturers, et cetera, and the contractor ecosystems, including system integrators around the globe. This includes private 5G, as well as big public networks. So, all right, so let's go ahead and just dive in. And uh, Jim, what would you say are the top RF-related issues that your mobile network customers are encountering as they deploy 5G? What bands are they deployment in, deploying in? Are there quirks to the spectrum that they're using? You know, what do you see happening overall in 5G RF? There's a lot going on. Good question. So I, I'm going to tackle this by band, right? And I think, because I think the, the, the troubles are different in the different bands. So if we start with low band, uh, we have a lot of existing 4G infrastructure at low band. Um, the signals are FDD, right? So there's a separate frequency for downlink and a separate frequency for uplink. Mm -hmm. um, most of the deployments, not all, but most of the deployments are dynamic spectrum sharing. So it's a combination of 4G and 5G signal. And believe it or not, that conversion to DSS went fairly well. I've, I, we found few issues, right? The, the 4G infrastructure was very mature and largely working. And, uh, and the, the dynamic spectrum sharing was again, a, a software upgrade to the network. And the FDD structure is very, very familiar with everybody uh, and makes other auxiliary tasks from maintaining and troubleshooting problems in the network uh, a little bit easier. Okay. And then we transition, and now we're in the middle of transitioning to mid-band, right? These are new frequencies, US and EMEA, it's called C-band, right? The 3.5 to 4 gig spectrum. Uh, we see a mix of 4G and 5G infrastructure, although um, most of the, the C-band uh, uses the AWS PCS and 700 megahertz uh, and um, LTE for the anchor for the 5G NSA. But this is required to be TDD. Mm. And some of the challenges we've seen in the mid-band is timing and synchronization, which if we remember from the first part of the podcast, the changeover of the front hall necessitated new timing and synchronization strategies. Uh, timing and synchronization manifests itself as uplink noise or can manifest itself as uplink noise. Uh, so that would be self-induced type of noise where uh, neighboring cell sites were overlapping or, or uh, 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 interfering with uh, another neighbor. Uh, and then, then there's PIM and external interference have also become more significant in the mid-band. Some of the PIM is being caused by the low-band radios and the third-order PIM products mapping into 
mapping into the midband. Okay. Finally, just and a little bit easier, the high band, which is the millimeter wave spectrum, you know, the limited deployments that are out there, these are new frequencies. Coverages range has become the biggest challenge, but I think we all predicted some of that, right? The timing and synchronization is a little bit, uh, a little bit cleaner. It's not quite as as broad ranging, and uh, it's utilized mostly in urban areas as part of a fixed wireless service. Or a uh, you know, if you're in the right uh, part of Chicago, you can get some pretty decent uh, millimeter wave performance on your mobile phone. So the, the the challenges on high band have really been related to coverage range and isolating how to extend that and trying to work through solutions on how to make that go a little bit further. Okay, great. So then, all right, so one more RF related question. Uh, you know, some of the new bands like CBRS or 3.45 gigahertz uh, either require sharing uh, or have some pretty significant coordination zones. And obviously that's, um, those are unique to the US in terms of the specifics of those bands. So what does that mean for deployment or testing that, that sharing or, or coordination zones? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I, the industry refers to, to this as spectrum coexistence, hmm. right? And, uh, and, you know, and first and foremost, antenna alignment is job number one on spectrum coexistence, right? Network, uh, networks are designed with very specific parameters for antenna sighting, et cetera, and seek to minimize these problems with properly pointed antennas. But using precision antenna alignment tools are a must to ensure the antennas are positioned in accordance with the network design. You'd, this seems like a no-brainer, right? You'd be <laughs> surprised at how many antenna sites we go to and the antennas pointed in a well-misaligned location. It may not be completely off, but it's, it creates lots of downstream problems when the antennas are not aligned properly. And it's such a simple thing to get it right the first time. Okay, um, you know, and actually, I do have one, one more question about 5G RF, uh, and this also happens to be about some mid-band, uh, some mid-band spectrum. You know, can we talk about C-band interference issues and the aircraft altimeter issue that sort of frazzled the first deployments and delayed them? Uh, you, you know, you had AT&T and Verizon um, agreeing to lower power levels and down tilts by some airports until I think mid-2023 because of this. And I know Viavi has some specific solutions around testing this. So can you tell us what's going on with C-band and, uh, and these radio altimeters and how you're supporting testing to ensure that there are not interference issues in the field with this? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, um, this was kind of a funny one because um, believe it or not, Viavi is highly engaged in many activities around this whole issue. Um, and we are likely one of the few companies in the world that can bring together the different pieces that are involved here. So for like, just, just go through it, right? Um, government agencies were involved, service providers are involved mm -hmm. and airframe manufacturers are all involved in this issue. And um, Viavi, obviously builds the tools that service providers use to turn up, deploy, and manage and maintain their network. So that's that clear. That's why I'm here, right? Um, but perhaps less known, but as it relates to the radio altimeter problem of even equal or greater importance is that we, we develop and manufacture a range of radio altimeter test gear 
specifically used by major airframe manufacturers and their customers around the world. These radio altimeter test gear actually test the RF characteristics of the radio altimeters as installed in an aircraft. Hmm. In addition, uh, you know, many of the government agencies that are involved trust Viavi in areas such as spectrum management, utilizing spectrum monitoring equipment from Viavi and utilizing our 4G and 5G network modeling technology think uh, many UE type load testing and conformance testing. So from that perspective, it was a no brainer for Viavi to, to be engaged in many of the activities that have taken place to date. And we've, in, we've been involved in, in ground testing. We've been involved in air, air uh, live testing. We've been involved in all sorts of, of testing in labs where they're trying to decipher the results they got from the aircraft and build it in their models so their models can agree. Uh, so a lot of activities in that area, but it sure was in our sweet spot given the range of capabilities Viavi has. On that note, we're going to take a short break and we'll be back in just a minute. This podcast is sponsored by Viavi Solutions. Thank you for listening. Let's get back to our interview with Jim Newins. I think at this point that we've covered RF testing pretty thoroughly, so uh, so thank you for that. But RF isn't the only game in town, obviously, and uh, and every wireless network ultimately is connected by wires, i.e., backhaul or front hall in some cases, as as we've discussed. Uh, I think there are some interesting things going on here when it comes to five G architecture, which we touched on a little in our first episode. Um, you know what's being connected and aggregated where, especially in terms of a more distributed edge. Um, so my question is, how is the wired side of 5G architecture changing? And what are the implications in that for testing? All right. Well, let's start with the backhaul, since you started with the backhaul. Okay. So the backhaul is expanding, right? I mean, more bandwidth to cell phones means more bandwidth needed to get to the cell sites, clearly. Um, and, and in some cases where you have hub and spoke architectures, to the cell sites. That is, they, they feed the backhaul to the first cell site, and then that site distributes backhaul to what I'll call spoke sites or downstream sites, right? In this kind of an architecture, we're seeing backhaul fairly shortly here, certainly within the next six to 12 months, expanding to 100 gig. In fact, this is the same backhaul that for 4G LTE, was at one gig to five gig ranges, going all the way to hundred gig. Wow. Clearly significant expansion. The spoke sites, which were previous, previously, you know, one gig or hundreds of megabits are being expanded to 10 gig and 25 gig now. So the backhaul is expanding. This drives a sensitivity to fiber impairments and things like that, right? The more data you're trying to run through a pipe, the, the better the pipe needs to be. I think that's, uh, that's an obvious conclusion. Front hall is evolving from the CPRI, the common public radio interface that uh, its claim to fame was the 4G, this is the backbone of the 4G front hall. This would allow us to put fiber up the, up the antenna to the radio and eliminate those long feed lines that were problematic for so many years, mm -hmm. right? CIPRI is evolving to eCIPRI, which is just essentially what it sounds like. It's an ethernet version of CIPRI. So we put it in an ethernet packet and then we can route it. Now our front halls can be routed. So we can have a single output 
and a, and a switch and route them to a different radio unit. eCIPRI is a predecessor for ORAN, right? eCIPRI uh, is the derivative of eCIPRI is the underlying protocol for ORAN. And so naturally then the next evolution of eCIPRI would be to go to ORAN and all the, all the attributes that ORAN brings of, you know, the, the you know, multi-vendor ecosystem, interoperability, all that good stuff. The implication for testing, front hall now includes timing and synchronization because we've taken that CPRI, that CIPRI connection, which was a synchronous connection and the clock was implied in the distribution of the data to the radio. And we've now broken that up into ethernet packets, which come only when they're necessary. And so there's no context of timing and synchronization. So we had to build a synchronization plane into eCIPRI and ORAN. And the synchronization plane is critical to timing that radio unit and maintaining time alignment with other radio units around your network. And of course, then there's the latency. Uh, the, the latency specifications for the front hall connection for 5G are much more stringent than they were for, for 4G. And so we need to test to make sure that they don't exceed the 10 millisecond latency requirements, et cetera. And of course, I talked about this earlier, since both the backhaul and front hall are being upgraded in, in big ways, uh, the fiber quality issues. It brings a more focus on end-face inspection and testing for fiber bends, et cetera. You know, essentially making sure that the infrastructure is ready to scale with the needs of the services. Okay. Well, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because, you know, I think one of the things I've been wondering about is uh, as someone who watched 4G come into being and sort of that backhaul bottleneck um, you know, it sounds like they're, they, it sounds like they learned their lesson and, uh, and they're making the upgrades, but it's, it, as you mentioned, uh, it does bring uh, some new issues uh, with that, along with that increased uh, capability and bandwidth. Yes, indeed. Okay. <laughs> All right, great. So that's a great high level view, I think, but, uh, but let's take it to a more boots on the ground view. Um, you know, what are techs having to test these days on the wired side? You know, is it different from 3G or 4G systems? Is more being asked of them? You know, it sounds yep. like there's a lot more going on. So, uh, and, and obviously, techs ultimately are going to have to be the ones who deal with that. Yeah, yeah. So, in some cases, they are being asked to test the same things as they were for 4G, um, and uh, you know, they are doing that. But there are more stringent measures of performance for those. So, for example, sweeping the feed lines, right? Uh, basic fiber and coax qualifications for front hall and antenna connections. Antenna alignment. You know, I keep harping on antenna alignment, but it's a critical factor. If you, you have these active antennas, these beautiful active antennas you're paying good money for that have beam steering and everything, and the notion of it being off-tuned by 15 to 20 degrees makes no sense. Your beam steering isn't going to save you from that. You have to pay attention to that. And then finally, and the classic loss latency and throughput on both the backhaul and as we emerge into an ethernet-based front hall, a front hall, we still need to make sure that we're getting the throughput that we've designed into the system. There are lots of components in the, in the paths and they all could be right or they, some one of them could be wrong. And you gotta make sure you've got it covered. But the biggest difference is that the network 
as the network migrates from 4G to 5G, the importance of these tests on the performance of the cell side is becoming more and more important. I think I touched on this earlier, right? We don't have as much margin as we used to have. And, uh, and as such, the RAN system's optimum performance is, is based on getting it right on the wireline side of the, of the connection. Another, another area that is undervalued, um, or pardon me, let me, let me in, in all these areas, meticulous attention to the installation and turn up of them is most efficient, generates the most efficient performance. So not only from a customer perspective, but also from a power efficiency, right? So we've all seen the, the recent uh, details that are mostly driven out of the, the European uh, Union on power efficiency. And in fact, one of the leading network equipment manufacturers actually came straight out and said, the number one factor for developing and maintaining the most power efficiency is to build your network properly, mm. right? If you think about the backhaul, if we're doing retransmissions of the backhaul to send the same amount of data through, let's assume that the backhaul is undersubscribed, right? We've got plenty of bandwidth, so we can, we can generate twice as much traffic to send it through because we're having errors in the in the connection. Well, that consumes power. Mm. Consider if the antenna is not pointed in the right direction. Well, that conserves power because in order for you to in order for you to get to the customers that are needed, you're going to have to be on longer. You, there's no dwell on the radio. So a lot of it, a lot of uh, power savings actually starts with building the network right from the beginning and making sure it's performing correctly. So obviously that is that takes a, a workforce with a, with a particular skill base, um, you know, and I think there's a, maybe a macroeconomic point to be explored here, and that's sort of the workforce view. There are some industry organizations that have been sounding the alarm for a while that there aren't enough skilled people to go around to get 5G deployed as fast as operators want it to be. Um, and that was before the pandemic and the great resignation and sort of the general workforce crunch that we're seeing right now. So how do you see operators and system integrators dealing with this? And what is Viavi doing on the testing side that sort of acknowledges this reality? Yeah, so we touched on a little bit of this earlier, but first, um, so from the organizations that I've had the opportunity to discuss this issue with, they all agree it's a huge challenge, right? Not only are the right people difficult to recruit and employ, but retention has also become more and more difficult. This is not a, this is not a, a, a glamorous life, right? You're on the road a lot, right? You're, you're traveling all over the place. Um, for minimal financial gain, many of these folks will jump to a new job, a new career path. So that's, there's a couple of challenges there. The area of most that Viavi is helping to make all technicians more effective and efficient in how they do their work, regardless of skill level, right? So we're, we're trying to, in essence, we're trying to say, there's a bigger pool of people out there that can do this work now, because we're gonna take all of the technology stuff and and all of the complexity and try to build it into the instrument so that your technician becomes a, a, a guy who, who builds it out and we automate the testing end-to-end -end on the back end. We have to make it easier to install and deploy the network correctly and efficiently. Essentially, we're going to use automation to help manage the qualifications for new technicians. If we can automate the measurements end-to-end, -end, the result is faster, more repeatable, with less trouble tickets. And that at the end of the day is the is the name of the game. Okay. 
All right, so I want to sort of bring it in because we have covered quite a bit of ground uh, in these two episodes. So if you had to summarize it for our audience and put together everything that you're seeing from the ground level on 5G and making it work the way that operators and customers want it to work, uh, what would you say? <laughs> you want me to do that in less than five minutes? <laughs> sure, sounds good. <laughs> let me I'll, I'll, let me do it this way. Let me let me summarize and 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 if 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 people who are listening to this, I want to identify the key takeaways, right? The key items and takeaways. First off, five G is obviously happening. Most of us have phones now. You know, differing levels of service, but it is happening. Different paces. There are regional changes or differences, but it is happening. There is money being spent, uh, investments being made. Second takeaway, 5G is complex when compared to 4G. In some cases, it's the same as 4G, but as you evolve into what I call, quote unquote, real 5G, it is more complex. Starting with the front hall, TDD, all the things that we went through there. So this continues to be an impetus to make sure that we're properly building it up piece by piece in accordance with how it's supposed to work. Issues are starting to surface. Right? We talked a lot about uplink noise. That's probably the one that I take away most, right? PIM, third order products are out there. Uh, we're seeing that and synchronization and timing, which manifests as an uplink noise problem, right? If a neighboring cell site is mistimed, it will interfere with your cell site. Still have new technology on horizon coming, ORAN. So there's more complexity coming, new stuff right, with new challenges for both service providers, as well as the people who deploy and maintain their networks. And then finally, automation will be a critical factor for the installation and maintenance crews to keep pace with the deployments, to keep pace with the technology, and to realize the end value that 5G can bring to not only uh, users of 5G, but also operators of 5G networks. That's what I'd leave as the key takeaways. All right. Well, I'm going to leave that because it pretty much puts a bow on it. So, uh, Jim, thank you so much for your time and your expertise and the perspective that you've shared with us. Just a reminder to our listeners that if you missed part one, you should really go back and give it a listen if you want the full picture of what's going on with 5G deployments and the related trends and challenges. Thanks to all of you for joining us today. Thank you to Jim Newins of Viavi Solutions for his perspective. And I hope that you found this podcast useful. 